We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. And if you would, open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. If you're visiting with us from out of town, I see a couple new faces here. Welcome. We're glad you're here with us. We've been going through the book of Romans, and God has been deepening us, and it's been so exciting. Uh, this past Thursday, oh, real quick, if, uh, if your kid is uh, five and under, and if you want to send them on back, totally great. I don't think I see any, um, but um, we got kids zone back for zero uh, to five, ages zero to five, and uh, the Leapers are doing an awesome job leading that, stations and games and the Word of God, and it's just been fun. So, guys, well done. Well done. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially in these, in these days, in these times of COVID, they have just navigated some awesome, unchartered waters, and they've done it with such grace and dignity. And even our fellow, my fellow elders, looks good doing it, which is about 90% of it. Amen. (laughs) My word, my word. Peter's like, no one ever tells me that anymore. So let me just. (laughs) Well, hey, let's get started. I was raking with my daughter, Ruthie, on Thursday night. And uh, Ruthie asked me, she said, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I said, all the awesome things you get in salvation, like when you get saved. Just all these awesome things. And she goes, oh, cool. Are they like even better than sour Skittles? And I was like, sour Skittles are awesome, but these things are even more awesomer. And so the title of today's message is Better Than Sour Skittles. Okay? Better Than Sour Skittles. And we're going to go through verses 1 to 11, and you're going to see seven things that Paul lays out when a person gets saved. And they're all beautiful. You can just cherish them. And especially this week, in uh, Thanksgiving week, when it comes time to giving thanks, if you would remember these and mention them to your family members and friends, uh, they are beautiful, glorious truths to be thankful for in your salvation. You might be looking at the outline and going, all right, Newman, why all the math equations? And what I'm trying to do is to lay out to you, Paul has laid out these seven truths in the scripture, okay? So there's seven of them that are better than sour Skittles. Uh, And it's like, um, in the next five minutes, it's going to feel like we're flying through these 11 verses, but then we'll stop and slow down, okay? So let's just go ahead and start with verse 1, and you're going to see three of them right away. And then he's going to add one more because he gets so excited. 
And then he says some cool stuff. And then he says two of them. And then he's like, oh, and I forgot one. He's like, and much more and much more. So you'll just see it in a second. All right. Don't get panicked when you feel like Newman's going too fast. We'll slow down in a minute. Okay. So let's go ahead and start with verse one. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, pause, which we should know what this means now. Like when we believe in Christ Jesus, that he, through the Father, like he declares us righteous and we stand before God righteous and we like receive righteousness, that Jesus grants us faith and repentance. We turn from our sins, we surrender to Christ and we're saved. And therefore, Paul starts like listing all these things. Okay, are you ready? Grab a pen. Number one, it says, we have, boom, peace with God in verse one. And then he says, number two, we have access to God. Verse two. He says, number three, we have hope. And then that's the first three. And then like the plus one comes in. Look at how he begins verse three. He says, and not only that, but you have purpose in your sufferings. So it's like three plus one. Boom, there's four math students, okay? And then um, let your eyes go on down to um, uh, verse three, four, and five. The fourth one is purpose in our suffering. He's like, you have peace. You have access. You have hope. And in this life, check this out. You have purpose in your suffering. And then in verse 9, he continues the list and he says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. You see the connections? Like, since therefore, like right in the beginning, therefore, since we have justified by faith, verse 9, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, he keeps the list going and he says that we've been saved by him from the wrath of God. And so number five is saved from his wrath. Number six is we are saved by his life. Verse 10. I'll read it for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more. Now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? And then he's like, oh, man, let me just list one more. More than that, do you see that portion in the scripture? Verse 11, more than that, let me just share one more thing that's cooler, cooler than sour Skittles in your salvation. And it's number seven, reconciliation. Verse 11, reconciliation. It says, we have now received reconciliation. Okay, I'm done flying through it. That might have felt a little academic to you, um, but it's important that you as a believer understand how the Bible is laid out, like how certain texts of Scripture are laid out uh, so that you can uh, trace the argument as a reader, but also as a disciple of Jesus so you can explain or teach someone else. Okay, so this week it would be awesome if you're like, hey, sipping on your pumpkin latte, I'd love to tell you about seven things that happens when you're like, when you're in Christ, when you like become a Christian um, and, um, and people would be like, oh, this, this bro knows what he's talking about. Right. But we also know that like coming to the scriptures is not just about 
uh, dissecting a literary piece. We're not just about like understanding it in the glory just of how the words are arranged, even though the Holy Spirit did that on purpose. We also want to study it carefully and apply it to our hearts. And so we're going to go back through those seven. We're going to see how each one of those um, speaks to our hearts and is so meaningful to us. Okay, so let's go ahead and start talking about number one, peace with God. Are you with me? So peace with God. We're going to slow it down just a little bit now. Here's chapter five, verse one. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so peace. Like you ask anyone out there, ask any person who has come to Christ, and I bet you 10 bucks, the predominant expression, like what they would talk about, what they're excited about, and what they're thankful for, is that they would communicate this feeling of peace. Like when they came to Christ, they were just showered or covered, or they experienced this, this peace that could only be from God above. And if you don't know the Lord, you might not know what we're talking about. But believers, nod your head if you know, yeah, when I came to Christ, I had it. And just in plain language, what is it that you get? What is that peace? I would, I would say, finally, you know that you're okay with God. You're okay with Him, and He's okay with you now. Like when you die, you know where you're going, yes. But in this life now, you have this knowledge of where you're going and that the living God will accept you. And that creates this incredible peace. It's a chief characteristic that, that functions evangelistically. When non-believers look at you, they can, they can identify that you're different. And the chief distinguishing mark is peace. That when the ups and downs come in life, you don't get rattled so much. They're, they're not such a catastrophe because you're grounded in a reality that is not of this world. That you know the Lord and you're going to be with Him one day. Amen? It's not peace in circumstances. <laughs> and we especially know that these days, right? With all the changing times, the changing news. What is truth? Fox, CNN, who should I believe? Pers the, the person of peace grants you peace. And I found in a circumstance. And this is such good news. Number one is peace. Number two is access. Look at me with, at verse 2. It says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So this is a big word in the Bible, okay? Like in Hebrews, it talks about how we've been given access to the throne of grace. Therefore, we can approach the throne of grace, God, with confidence. Um, Ephesians says that we've been given access to God, therefore we can come to Him. And in Romans chapter 5, 
One of the cool parts about salvation, better than sour Skittles, is that we have access to him. Okay? So back in biblical times, a little word study. This word was used as a nautical term, a shipman's term, like a seaman, right? And so ships are coming into the port, okay? How does the port people know if it's a bad guy or a good guy, right? And usually, like, kids, if you're, like, watching um, movies about ships and things like that, the bad guys, what color flags do they have? Black, and what do they have on them? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so you know if it's pirates, if they got a black flag with skull bones, right? And they're crossing, okay? So back in biblical times, ships would be granted access if the people in the port would identify them as good guys. And so the port people would would wave a white flag, and that would mean you have access to port your ship. Like, we are welcoming you in. Like, come in and trade with us and, like, buy our food and eat with us and commune with us. We have granted you access. And God is saying, hey, you, I'm welcoming you in. You don't have to be shy. You don't have to be embarrassed. You don't even have to feel guilty or shameful about your sin, past, present, or future. I am wanting you to come in. I'm granting you access. I'm waving the white flag and saying, come and commune with me. I know a lot of times, and I can say this from experience, when I just keep on sinning, friends, I keep on sinning and doing the same things over and over again. A lot of times, here's how my twisted and dark, just stupid mind works. Ready? I don't think God likes me anymore. He's actually annoyed with me. I keep sinning in the same area. And so I'm not, I'm not going to come to him. I'm just going to try to figure this out on my own. And it'll never feel like that. Yeah. And God, through his word this morning, is saying, you don't need to feel like that. Like he wants you to come. Don't sit, don't cower, don't, don't be afraid. You can approach him with confidence every day, every hour, every minute. And guess what? Find forgiveness of sin. So the question would be right, right off the bat, have you taken advantage of your access in salvation? You have access to God. Have you confessed your sins this week and experienced the glorious and beautiful like peace and forgiveness from having access with him? If you haven't, that's okay. We're inviting you today, right? And we'll after the sermon, we'll take communion and we'll just land on that idea of access to him. All right? Let's keep going, though. Number three, hope. Hope. I'm rejoice in hope glory of God number three is hope but look at that object of hope I love it how the scriptures are not ambiguous we're not just hoping in something random look at the object of our hope here it says that we hope in his glory isn't that interesting like John when he wrote the when he wrote his book the gospel of John it says 
We have seen His glory, the one and only Son. You remember that? He was referring to when Jesus, when He went up on the mountain and He took three of His buddies, and He was transfigured in front of them. Which, the word transfigured in Greek, do you want to hear what it means? It means transfigured. Isn't that beautiful? I know. There's no real good word for it. There's no, so they just, they just keep saying it. And, and, and it, it's, it has this connotation that he opened himself up and that those three followers, his friends, they saw him for who he was. And when he did, it was, when, when they saw him, he was bright. He was, he was glorious. He was, he was unearthly. Mark describes it as, as, he was as white as no launderer could ever bleach clothes. <laughs> it was such a shining, bright light when Jesus was transfigured. That's who he is. And right now, in a world of darkness, with sin, with evil, God is saying that we can have hope in one day seeing a pure, bright light from Jesus himself. Like we can look forward to one day when, we, when things won't be clouded, when things won't be impure. It like gives us angst, a yearning for him to come back one day and for us to see him. It's beautiful. Number four. That was number three, hope. Number four, purpose in suffering. Purpose in suffering. Imagine, friends, if you didn't have any purpose in suffering. Wouldn't suffering be such a downer? My word. Uh, these, these next verses, verses three through five, are some of the most cherished verses for the Christian. I mean, we as believers love these verses. Um, so basically, the summary of these verses is because, because we've been justified by faith, when we go through junky stuff, hard times, God's working in us. We have purpose in it. Um, I, I made up a translation this week of how I usually read these verses. I'd like to read it for you, okay? This is the Newman translation, verses 3 to 5. Ready? Uh, just like, let your eyes go to your, your Bibles and uh, uh, watch, watch how different it is, okay? I would imagine some of you read it like this too. But we are bummed out in our suffering, knowing that suffering stinks and produces distraction to what we really want. And distraction produces frustration. And frustration puts us to shame because we don't get to live the life we've always wanted. <laughs> That's what I feel. That's not what is written for the record. That's what I feel. You guys feel like that? Isn't that the truth? Suffering comes and you're like, ah, this stinks. But look, like, just think back on a time that you have suffered. I know you wouldn't want to go through it again. 
but I also know you wouldn't trade it for the world, right? You certainly wanna, wouldn't want to wish it upon anyone else. Amen? But if someone said, hey, I'll, I'll give you a thousand bucks for that experience, you'd be like, no, 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 that's mine. That's where I cherished Jesus the most. Suffering, friends, God uses it for a great purpose. Uh, yesterday, yesterday, um, we woke up and uh, we went to the Y. Uh, like just a little reminder, we're a church in the Y. And so like we love the YMCA. We don't just like rent the building, but we want to dwell in it. Meaning we want to, we want our very like missions mindset to be that we're, that we're rubbing shoulders with people in the Y in our community. We're working out, we're meeting people. We're working out and we're meeting instructors and praying for them. And we're as a church, like, like moving towards this particular Y. And uh, um, we went to the Y in Lebanon, which, by the way, I've probably met more people from Mainville in the, at the Y in Lebanon than, than just hanging around Mainville, like restaurants and coffee shops. It's like, it's a great place to meet people. Missiologists say it's a great third space, home, work, and space. I love the strategy of our, of our church and like the ministry that God has entrusted us with. Anyways, so we went to the Y, and my wife and I and my oldest did a class called Corps de Force. Corps de Force. Anytime there's like a foreign word in there, like de, it's like you got to be intimidated by like, what in the world are they going to do, okay? All right, now I was the only guy in this class, and um, this class, they work your core, which, you know, you can see I need a little work on it, but like... Um, they got this big punching bag and everyone gets these like punching gloves on and you just like punch and kick at it, okay? And there was this one point when Emma, the instructor, she's like, okay, cross, kick, push, kick, jab, jab, up, up, down, down. And I was like, what? Okay, so I got the kick part. So I was like kicking it, right? I was like, oh, oh. and I was like, this is pretty cool. I can kick it. And I noticed like I was the only Right? I was like, and I was looking around, have their like foot, uh, like a, a, like equal or higher than their ear, okay? And they were just like tapping the bag, just holding it up there like that. And I was like, what in the world? I can only like put like a scarf around my neck. I can't like, you know. All right, so like, so I'm like, okay, pain is good. I can get it up there. I get, and I was like, I'm, I'm just gonna like, rest it down here for a while right it it, it was it was a little bit embarrassing but uh, i woke up this morning i was a little sore i was a little sore um and you, the whole time though i was like why in the world am i doing this this is totally ridiculous right and so i need to be reminded and the instructor reminded me like at one point she like looked at me and with fire in her eyes she was like let's go i was like okay i'm so sorry right why do we do it? Well, because that little bit of pain for the 55 minute class or whatever produces in me um, like more strength. The breaking down gives me longevity for the long haul. Like if I wanna run and play with my grandkids one day, I need to be working on that right now. Like I need to be 
in shape and I need to buffet my body. I need to like bring some pain to it so that in the long haul, it will be ready to persevere. And that's exactly what God does with suffering. It is such a gift. It's such a mind change from the, how the world views suffering in hard times. This Thanksgiving, friends, you're going to have ample opportunity to complain about this last year. Your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, someone is going to ask you, so how was it this past year? I haven't seen you since last Thanksgiving or whatever. And because we all have the tendency to like think about the hard stuff and complain first. This Thanksgiving, give glory to God through your suffering and talk about how it produced in you perseverance and character and hope. God has a purpose in your suffering and he uses it to deepen you because he loves you. I had a quiet time in Psalm 40 this week. The end of Psalm 40 says that his thoughts are for you. You haven't been forgotten in your suffering. He loves you and his thoughts are for you. Number four was there is purpose in our suffering. Number five, saved from God's wrath. We're in verse nine now. It says, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And this, these are the great truths of the gospel that our righteous and holy God had to act upon the sin. He had to move towards mankind in his most holy and natural function was to display his wrath. He had to deal with it. But he didn't display or give his wrath to you. He gave it to his son, Jesus, who lived a righteous life and died a righteous, perfect death. And he absorbed the wrath that was, that was supposed to be, it was like directed towards. You were supposed to get it. And Jesus took it from you. And placed it upon himself. And that should, if you've never heard that before, that's our gospel that saves. But also it's a beautiful truth for the believer to remember. That God didn't pour out his wrath upon you. Even this past week with your sin. He put it on your son, on his son. And he allows you to experience his, what we would call common grace. To like, to live and breathe and enjoy the beauty outside. And to enjoy a nice drink. And to enjoy a nice T-bone. My daughter asked me, I think it was in the context of blackfish, which I realize is a divisive thing to bring up. Like, it's a love or hate thing. We love black licorice, Okay. Um, and she was like, do you love black li licorice? I was like, yes. And I was kind of in this text. And I was like, sweetheart, I, you can love things that aren't eternally significant like black licorice. Like God could have poured out his wrath upon me, but instead 
you put it on a sun and now I'm enjoying black licorice. Like, so like, it's okay, like enjoy things in life and connect it to things in the scriptures, such as, hey, I could have been experiencing his wrath, but I'm not. Amen? Number six, saved by his life. And this one, we're just going to spend a little bit of time and go deep in it, okay? For while we were, this is verse 10, we were enemies. We were reconciled to God. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Life. And this one has intrigued me all week, right? Because like when you anticipate it, you think about being saved by God through the what of God's son? Through the death of God's son, right? Like, why did he switch up the words? Like, aren't we saved by Jesus' death? Why the different wording? Like, what is Paul getting at? And if I were just to like trim down maybe like 400 pages of commentary over the last 2,000 years of church history, um, I would say this is what I think Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about Jesus's current life. Okay? So we're saved by Jesus's current life. Um, so the question would be, what does that mean, Newman? Like, that's, I don't got it yet. So Hebrews uh, talks, talks about what Jesus is doing right now. We know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has specific ministries to us right now, even though he is in heaven. And the chief ministry of Jesus to his children right now is the ministry of interceding. In common language, Jesus right now is praying for you. He's praying for you. Like that's what he did in John 17. Like he, he stopped in the upper room and he prayed for his followers. But even right now, Jesus is mentioning you by name because he loves you, he cares for you, and he's talking about you to the Father. And this should be of great comfort to the Christian today. Um, because maybe up to this point, you were thinking, man, I'm saved, but I feel so ashamed of my sin. I kind of had it in the mindset that uh, in my mindset that I that I wasn't going to sin anymore when I got saved, or maybe you think like this because this is how I think. I I thought I would have it more together at this point. Like I'm I'm and you fill in the age right. I'm thirty. I, I should have had this figure. I'm forty. Why am I still struggling with? I'm 50 or 60, 70, whatever. And Jesus like looks not past it, but looks at you where you are and still loves you and still prays for you. It should be a comfort because the scriptures 
that you, you know, been made perfect now, you're a new creation, you're still going to sin. And if you die today, you're going to stand before the Lord complete, but you are still weak and you are still in need of continual help from someone outside of yourself. I know that's hard to say as Americans. But the help that you need, namely, is the ministry of Jesus Christ in his interceding work for you. So think about that this week. You're not alone. Jesus himself is devoted to you and is praying for you in moments of temptation, in your sin, in your enjoyment of Thanksgiving meal. Amen? Last and final one, number seven, reconciliation with God. Here's our last verse. It, in verse 11, it says, more than that. See that two? He already gave us two. And here's plus one. Like, hey, guys, I got to tell you this, okay? More than that, we also rejoice in God through the, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So he opens with peace, and then he closes with reconciliation. And if we're not careful, we could just think those are exactly the same thing. But like he uses different words. It's a different concept. It's kind of like a one, what is more, two. Right? Like um, maybe this past week you had an argument with your brother or your sister or your spouse or someone in your family, right? And you've come back to them. You know, like when you have an argument, there's like tension in the room. You guys know what I'm talking about? You don't? It's just Hannah and I? Oh my word. We've got some work to do, babe. Right? Right? So there's tension in the room. And, you know, the Lord moves in your heart. And like, let's say the husband, it's your job husband, by the way. forgive me. Would you please forgive me? And she says, yes, absolutely. Right? Uh-huh. Husbands, you guys know what I'm talking about. 10 minutes later, 15 minutes later. Just kidding. Okay. So, so, all right. You got peace. You got peace now. Boom. Okay. But Paul says, it's not just, okay, we're good. All right. See you later, sweetheart. I'm going to go back in the wood shop now. Reconciliation is this, okay, things have been mended. Let's, let's talk. Let's, let's like reconvene. Let's commune together. Let's, let's talk about how I hurt you or, and how, how you're doing now. It's, it's this continual relationship that Jesus invites you into. It's not like a forget and just move on, but it's a move on towards and pursue each other, to be with one another, to be reconciled. It's a cherishing, a delighting in one another, 
Theologically, it would be like delighting in your union with Christ. Like I was restored back to Him. Now we're unified. We're one. And now we're like communing with one another again. No longer are my prayers hindered, but I can pour out my heart to Him and He's hearing me and I'm forgiven. And it's like I'm basking in the Son of Jesus Christ. Those are the seven things that Paul says, hey, isn't this way better than sour Skittles? Let me just list them. Peace, access, hope, purpose in suffering, saved from wrath, saved by his life, and reconciliation. All right, and you may ask, like, where in the world did all those things come from? Is that from me working for them? Do I, do I need to muster up some energy, some strength? Um, it, was, it was because I was really good this past week that I get to... No. Look at right in the middle. This is the beautiful part. Ready? Just so you're like mindful. This is the role of the pastor in your life, by the way. Telling you what you need to hear, not the things that you'd like to hear. Look at all your in in verses 6, 8, and 10. Ready? You were weak, verse 6. You were ungodly, ah, verse 6. You were eight sinners, and then ten. This is the real kicker in the throat. You were enemies of God. But even in all of that, kids, you've been working on memorizing this verse in the Romans Road. This is 5, 8. But God shows, finish it for me. But God shows his own love for us in that while we're yet sinners, uh huh. Christ died for us. Excellent. Excellent. For your, for your uh, like grammarians out there, there's two independent clauses in verse 6, 7, and 8. Okay? And there is this that Christ died for the ungodly, Christ died for us. If you're wondering who us was, it's us, the ungodly. The guy who discipled me in college, he would get so frustrated. People would say this, this right. Well, God helps those who help themselves. ESV says we were weak. Christ died for us even though we were powerless, helpless, and weak. So people, all people, all ungodly, need Jesus. They needed him to die for them. So application, okay? We're rounding third now. Um, if Jesus died for you, we don't just like take these truths and go, oh, that's nice, and you know, I can benefit from them. But like the the godly, like robust response is that if Jesus died for you, I'm gonna live for him. I'm gonna give him my all. Anything and everything I surrender to you, Lord. So 
Those are the res- that's the response to those seven beautiful truths, is to live for him. You could take, for instance, this week, and starting tonight, Sunday, all the way to Saturday, you could take seven days and take each of those truths and apply it to your life and how you're going to live for him. Peace and access and hope and purpose and suffering. And this and, like you could journal out like on Monday or Tuesday, like what, how could I hope in God's glory this week? Or Wednesday, how could I find purpose in suffering? Or what, what sort of endurance are you building in me, God, through my current challenges? Like those are just some examples of like some quiet times where you could commune with God this week. But to, um, to close our time, I'm just going to apply three of those, three of the seven to our church, okay? So here's, here's the closing. It is number one. I think we should be reconcilers, okay? If we have been reconciled by God, the chief hallmark of Christianity is reconciliation. It's forgiveness. And so we should experience that between... God and yourself, but also we should be the first ones to start reconciliation with fellow mankind. So I urge you to be reconciled to others. And I'm picking this one because probably you're going to see family this week. Have Do you got any uh, withheld forgiveness towards any family? This week, I encourage you to go now and be reconciled. Like, like ask the Lord for courage to get over that awkward hump. It looks something like this. Hey, last April or hey, last week or hey, yesterday, when I said that, I, I, did I hurt you? I am sorry. Would you please forgive me? I was wrong. Their response is going to be like this. Oh, that's what people do, right? Do it anyway. Do it anyway. Be reconciled. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. It's not fine. Be reconciled to them. If someone comes to you this week and asks for forgiveness, if it's a lousy apology, forgive them in a very Christian manner. Let me just coach you along with the language. And this is for parenting as well. When your kids argue, don't say, hey, say sorry to one another. Sorry, sorry. Okay, fine. That's fine. Or it's okay. Say this. This is so Christian. I forgive you. Okay? Say those powerful words. Be reconcilers, my friends. All right, next one. Be proclaimers. Be proclaimers. So in your suffering, and we're all going through it because we're all human, proclaim the Prince of Peace. Okay? So like identify pain points in your life, and instead of going, ah, this stinks, this stinks, like communicate with your mouth how you have experienced God's peace and how he has built character in your life through your suffering. I would like to just share um, how Bonnie Zink is modeling that for us. Uh, I'm pulling up a text. 
Um, and this is how Bonnie Zink is, is proclaiming peace, not just dealing with it, but she's using suffering as a platform for ministry for the gospel. Ready? If you're new here, if you don't know her, this is one of our, our old saints in the faith. Um, I asked her how she was doing. Uh, she's had breast cancer for I don't know how many weeks, but it's been recent. Uh, and she said, just wanted to give you all an update. My lab work came back and I have cancer in my lymph nodes. The surgeon wants to do surgery. We are praying for wisdom. And the one who has all knowledge and all wisdom will give generously. James 1, 5. I still feel his presence and have been resting in him and praying that he would be glorified and show me who needs to hear about him as we continue on this path. Love you all. B-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z as she always signs her emails and things like that. And that's our Bonnie for us. In her suffering, she's got some purpose. She has told every nurse and every doctor about the Lord what a great model for us. She is proclaiming peace amidst her suffering. And lastly, be access. Be access. This is an important word to know and to study because not only do we have access now to our relationship with God, but people who study missions around the globe use the term access to describe status or spiritual climates of countries. That country doesn't have access to the gospel. This country has access to the gospel. Here, here, and there's different color codings depending on different maps. Just Google it, okay? Access to the gospel. What they are meaning, if they say this country doesn't have access to the gospel, that means that within this certain radius, you know, put a dot and you draw a line around it, whatever, that there's no churches that they know of. There's no Christians that they know of and that there's no Bibles that they know of in that country, in that area. So they don't have access to the gospel. We learn in Romans 1 that they have access to creation. They can see and know that there's something higher than covered that has only the power to, not to save. And so countries with no access, no church, no Christians, no Bibles. And you might go, okay, well, cool. Like, what about me as a student? I'm at Little Miami. And like the first thing would be like, oh, well, our church is here. And you think building. And then there's churches on this street and churches in there. Okay, we have access to the gospel. In some sense, you're right. But what it particularly means is little Miami has access to the gospel because you are there. You have a Bible, but they are reading you. And as my dad says, sometimes you are the only Bible that sometimes people will ever read. And you are the person, the access point in which God has chosen you to put you in that classroom or that workspace or in that playdate group so that those people would hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. You are the access. 
So my encouragement to you after reading these glorious truths of the gospel is to be people's access this week. Does your workplace have the gospel? Does your school have the gospel? Yes. It's you. Let's pray. And let's go into our time of communion, okay? And so, Father, we, we pray that we would take these truths from the Bible and that your Holy Spirit would write them upon our hearts. We don't want to just check a box by coming to church. We want to be the church. We want to love you and serve you and follow you all our days. Would you help us? We thank you that your son is praying for us. And so right now we're asking that you would raise to the surface, that you would quicken our minds, that you would um, peel back the calluses of our heart, that we may see where we've been wrong. We can become clean and we can find an abundant life by following you wholeheartedly. And so we celebrate that this morning. Communion today, brothers and sisters, it's, it's kind of like we just ate a seven-course meal. And we want to savor the meal. We want to sit around the table and not just get up from the dinner table and run away. We want to savor these truths. And in the savoring, the Holy Spirit works in our lives. You could ask him, Lord, what did I need to hear today? Why did you bring me here? And the appropriate response would not be to be like, ah, I should, I should have gotten that before today. I, I should have. That's not it. The appropriate response is, oh, Lord, thank you that I can approach the throne of grace now with confidence and find forgiveness. And so we're inviting you to do just that. Take a moment. Be still before the Lord. Pray. Confess your sins. Be filled with the Holy Spirit.